magic lies within the trails we ride. You're listening to the Journey On Podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick is a horseman, trainer, international clinician, and author whose mission is to help people achieve a deeper connection with their horses and therefore themselves and everyone around them through his transformational training program. Warwick offers a free seven-day trial to his comprehensive online video library that includes hundreds of full-length training videos and several home study courses at videos.warwickschiller.com. G'day everyone, welcome back to the Journey On Podcast. I'm your host Warwick Schiller and I'm joined today by my lovely wife Robin. Good morning. We are here and we're going to have a bit of a chat about what's been going on this year and what's actually going to go on for the rest of the year because uh, it's getting a little bit crazy here about, oh, how long ago was it, hun, that uh, <laughs> I decided I, I was ready to go back out on the road? Uh, about a month or month or so. Yeah, about a month or so ago. I didn't have much booked for the rest of the year because we've been, you know, the thing with doing the clinics is with COVID or with anything really that might cancel it, you, you don't want to schedule a clinic and then, you know, have people you know, organ, you know, take time off work and organize to come to the clinic, especially not just the people with the horses, but the spectators, because some of them come from a long, long way away. And uh, I didn't really want to organize anything in case COVID took back off again. And, and after we realized that we're probably out of, the, out of the woods with COVID, I said to Robin, can you book me some stuff? And this is about a month or six weeks ago. And within about a week, she said, you're booked to November. Yep. And I still, yeah. That's about right. <laughs> so let's talk about what we've actually got up to this, this year from the beginning, uh, horsey business-wise. So we went to a show in Arizona in, when was that? Well, first you had a clinic in Arizona. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I had a clinic in Arizona. That was, you know, that was pretty cool. I might talk a little bit about <clears throat> something that happened at that clinic. Um, you know, there was, a, there was a lady at that clinic that's been to several clinics and this this comes back to this story here comes back to asking your horse yes questions which means you know I've, I've said it before this I think there's three ways to ask a horse a yes question and one is to ask them something they already know how to do the other one which probably occurs most in training is asking them something that they don't know how to do but they have the information to figure out the next step but the third one is my horse knows how to do it and he's capable of doing it on this day in this environment under these circumstances with his current mental condition. And there was a lady there that's been to several of my clinics and she's, she does a lot of um, classical dressage and does amazing, <laughs> does amazing work. You know, I'm really only qualified to help her with her, the problems she runs into, not with the technical stuff because she does amazing work. And she had a mare there. An Andalusian mare, I think she came to a clinic last year, actually. And actually, it was funny last year when she came to the clinic. She um, wanted to work on the flying lead change. And I don't, two years ago. It was two years two ago, years wasn't ago, it? Yep. I don't often get horses that are ready for a flying lead change. People think they are. And, and that's why I think people have trouble teaching the flying lead change, because they don't have everything perfect enough to get it right. But um, this lady, certainly two years ago, had it perfect enough to get it right except her mare was a bit wound up that day. So we spent more time getting that mare to relax and anything. And something funny happened. I told her, just stop there and just stand there on the loose rein and just hang out. After this mare got a bit 
This is two years ago. Years ago, yeah. After she got a bit frustrated. Uh, you were there, weren't you? Yeah. And this mayor all of a sudden starts throwing out this standing still Spanish walk. And I said, are you asking her to do that? And she said, no, I'm not. And I said, let me guess, you taught her to do the Spanish walk very early on as a standalone event without a lot of foundation, just as a standalone thing. She said, yeah, actually I did. And I said, yeah, you've got to be really careful uh, what you teach horses. But anyway, this horse, when she wasn't sure what to do, she went back to just throwing out that Spanish walk. It was kind of interesting. But anyway, so this year at the clinic, she... Um, Arrived the night before, and by the time she came into the arena to for her session, which was in the afternoon, she was going to ride. She came in, her horse had buddied up to some other horse and was losing her mind as far as separation anxiety, just like completely losing her mind. And what I said to her, and she was on her horse, and what I said to her was, just turn loose of the reins and just work on the ear flick. So, what the ear flick is, is you'll just, you know, if your horse is pacing up down the fence and having their ears pointed outside the arena, you just pick up on the opposite rein and just hold it out, just like you're trying to turn a circle, but you're not trying to turn. You're trying, you're going to hold your hand there until that horse's ear flicks towards you, which tells you tells me that their thoughts went from thinking about something else to being present with you. And it's almost like a, you know, like a guided meditation for horses sort of thing. And it requires a great deal of being able to give up control, which she did. And she probably spent half an hour working on this without steering, without, you know, without controlling horse, just picking up and flicking that ear. And nothing was, for half an hour, nothing seemed like it was changing. And after about 45 minutes of doing it, suddenly that mare just started staying focused in the arena and, and actually walked all the way across the other side of the arena, then came back to the middle of the arena and just stopped and stood there and stood there for the rest of the session on a loose rein. And it was, I was glad, hopefully someone who's listening watched it and he's kind of nodding their head up and down because it was a huge, um, huge change in a horse by by doing seemingly nothing over and over and over and over and over again. And, and you've got to choose which horse you do it with and you've got to choose, you, you know, you've got to be a confident rider. But, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a huge, huge change. I did something two years ago that was similar with a mule. You were there for that one, weren't you? Yeah. So um, after the Arizona clinic, I came home and then we went to a horse show in Arizona. Went and tried out our... <laughs> the new event we're trying, which is ranch riding. And as we found out there, ranch trail. Yeah, ranch trail. We, um, that show too, we kind of jumped in the deep end because it's called the Sun Circuit and it's one of the largest quarter horse shows, I think in the country. And it's, there were what, 1,100 horses there? Maybe 1,500. I can't remember. 2,000 actually. Um, so anyway, and we knew all the best ranch riding you know, exhibitors were going to be there. So we went there so we could see what the best looked like and pick their brains um, also. So I also found out a couple of technical things, like I wanted to go in the ranch trail, but then they had a walk jog and you can't go in both, so you had to pick one. So I picked to go in the ranch riding that loped, but I picked to go in just the ranch trail that was a walk trot because I didn't 
I mean, we've done some obstacles at home, but certainly not anything like what they were going to expect of us in the ranch trail. So I tried the baby trail. And, and you were quite successful. Yeah, I think we won every class. Actually, there's a trophy sitting right here behind us. Right there, actually. Right here behind us. That's uh, the Sun Circuit um, champion. Champion. Yeah, it was. I told Robin the first day, I said, you, you really should, you know, once you start showing in the walk jog for that show, you can't go to the other one. But after the first day, I said to Robin, you really shouldn't be showing in that. You, you beat them up. <laughs> like you were a... a well, it was our first time, so yeah. Yeah, you were at like a two twenty-five, and the second place was like a two two oh something. Uh, yeah. So after the horse show, we learned a lot there about our horses and yeah, a lot. And, uh, stall placement. <laughs> stall placement. Yeah. Um, and then after the horse show, we went and trail rode in the Tonto National Forest for a week. So we have a we have a living quarter horse trailer that has you know living quarters on the front of it, and there is a really good, what would you call it a, a horse horse hotel? It's an RV place too, right on the edge of the Tonto National Forest. So the Tonto National Forest is three million acres, I think, of rocks and cacti, actually, sand and sandy washes. So yeah, we stayed there for five days maybe and trail rode every day in the desert and just absolutely love trail riding in the desert. Yeah. And Ray is actually the better trail horse. Yeah. So Ray, the, the stallion that we have that we bought uh, a couple of years ago, you know, he'd never really been outside an arena much and he loves trail riding. He gets out there and his ears are up and he's, he wants to go, but he's not anxious and he's not what in Australia we'd call goey, you know, he's not trying to go. But if you ask him to go, he's like, yeah, I'd love to go. Like if you ask him to come back to you, he comes back to you. But yeah, it's absolutely beautiful out there. And, and the feeling of the desert, I don't know, you love, you kind of get a great feeling in the desert, don't you? Like, Yeah, my body, likes, my body likes the desert better than anywhere else. Yeah, so we, yeah, that was such a cool time, you know, take the dogs for walks in the desert. No, but you got to watch out. Robin's little dog, he's who's sitting on a lap holding. He's a burr magnet and, and uh, the desert is full of cactus, full of cactus that act like birds. So yeah, you got to be careful with that. Um, after Arizona, I went to Equine Affair in Columbus, Ohio and presented there. And that was, oh, that was such a cool, you know, the, the demos all went really well. You know, I've actually put out some videos on, on some of the highlights of that. Um, one of the videos I put out was, I put it on YouTube and social media, it was called How to Desensitize Your Horse Clapping to 600 People. Because <laughs> a lady bought this horse into the arena and it's, uh, I think her problem was it's, he's been wanting to go all his life, under saddle, and all he wants to do is go. And it turned out he was kind of that way on the ground. It turns out he's just anxious. But um, when she first brought him in there, you know, and there's probably, I don't know, four or 500 people in that Coliseum, just the murmur of the crowd and everybody moving made him kind of concerned. And, and I just worked on, you know, the attunement stuff I kind of been working on. And by the end, when I, you know, thanked everybody, you know, 600 people, people clapped and uh, he kind of went, oh, just people clapping. And, and so I, you know, that's not what the session was about at all, but it's amazing what, what it's like at the end when those, when everybody claps after you've worked with those horses and 
got them to where they can self-regulate a bit. So I put that one out. I think I may have put a couple of different videos out on that one. But what was really cool <clears throat> about that Horse Expo was the the fallout from this podcast, actually. You know, the people that came up to the booth, I had a line of people at the booth all day, every day. I, by the time I was finished there, my head was going to pop off because I was I had to be on, you know, like talking to people face to face all day, every day. But it was, it was so cool. People coming up and talking about the podcast and how much it's um, meant to them and how much it's possibly changed your lives. You don't like talking to people, though, so. What are you saying, Robin? You were in your element, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I don't know. It's been funny, this whole COVID thing being at home. I used to think I was an extrovert, but now I think I'm an introverted extrovert. You know, I can go out there and do it, but I tell you what, I've got to recharge because that, that takes it out of me. And speaking of the podcast, that's where I met um, Philippe, who was, who was uh, on the podcast here a few episodes ago, who rode from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, all the way to Barretos, Brazil, on one trip, then rode from Brazil to the tip of Argentina on another trip, and then rode from Fairbanks, Alaska, to Canada on another. So... I think there's been, I don't know. You said five, I think. Five others who've done that. Yeah, well, I think there's been 11 men who've walked on the moon, but there's only five men who've ridden from Fairbanks, Alaska, to the bottom of, of South America, and he's one of them. So, yeah, such a cool dude. He was such a fun guy. i tell you what, I think next week his, um, so today's June the 7th. I think next week his... Uh, Long Rider film premieres at the famous Chinese theatre on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So anybody who is um, in LA and would love to go see that, I'm sure they'd love to sell you a ticket. I just saw, he just posted on Instagram yesterday, they had a, a, pre, a premiere of that in Mumbai, India, and it was sold out and it was a picture from the front of the theatre looking back at all the, the Indians watching. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay, after Equine Affair, we went to Hawaii to visit our son, Tyler, which is always a fun time. Yeah, we went to Kauai, and my brother has a house there that we get to use, which is really awesome. It's very close to Poipu Beach, and Tyler flew over to meet with us, and actually it was great because we've been there. That's probably what our, it's been, I've been there one more time than you because I went with my girlfriends last year, so like six or seven times, and you know, Kauai is not that big, but we did a couple things that we had never done before, so that was really good. Yeah, well, Tyler lives on Oahu, but he, he understands Hawaii and, and how to find hidden places and stuff. I hiked to a waterfall that was, it was probably the coolest hike I've ever done in my entire life. And I did not. You did not do that one. But I read, I read the, uh, the reviews of the hikers that said, I'm an experienced hiker, and this was scary. And I said, well, I am not an experienced hiker, so I will go shopping. But there was something that happened on that trip that I'm very proud of you for. Is you, you know, Robin suffers from vertigo and is very concerned about things that may cause her vertigo. And Tyler has a, a 26-foot sailing boat and he wanted to take a sailing and Robin's pretty sure that she might get seasick. And, but she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it. and she. You tried it, and the seas were actually, it was quite windy that day, and the seas were kind of rough, and there were some things going on, and you, you did it. So that's, yeah. and, I, and I really think for you, that was the start of um, 
doing things that you normally wouldn't do. What was the next? Because there was something else, not on Hawaii, but since then, what else did you do? There was one other thing, I can't remember what that was, that, that was outside your comfort zone. Um, I can't remember what that was, but the most recent one that I'm really proud of you for is Robin has finally started taking ice baths. Well, they're not really ice, but they're cold. Yeah. And, and Robin, you know, you were like, there's no way I could do that. And a lot of people that I mentioned that I take ice baths and cold showers and stuff, they say, I could never do that. And I say, well, you know, I hate it. used to hate the cold. I'm still not a fan of being cold, but it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't scare me anymore where I can actually work through it. And what was really cool was the first, I said, Robin wasn't sure about doing it. And I said, well, what if I just fill the, the, the chest freezer up with water, but not turn it on? So you get in it at, you know, the, the temperature of the tap comes out of the water and it's, uh, it was early, late spring, early summer here. So the first time you got in it was 74, wasn't it? I think it was 74, which is about the same temperature as the ocean in Hawaii. And you found that cold, didn't you? And so then what I did, I plugged it in a bit, you know, for a few hours that night. And the next day you got it and it was 64 which was, how'd that feel? It was cold right at the start, but then it was fine. Yeah. And then I plugged that night, I plugged it in some more. And that night, the next day, sorry, it was. No, I think it got to 58 a couple days and then it got to 54. And you said you, you, you found a piece of ice in it that you hid from me. So I didn't see it. <laughs> well, you wouldn't have got in if you'd known there was ice floating in it. Anyway, that was cold. So then I said, well, let's, then he was going away again. We can get to that. But, and then I, I said, let's just keep it. We'll just keep it here and I'll do it every day while you're gone and get used to this temperature. And so that's what I did. But let's go back to that bit though. The day it was 54, you, the coolest thing about that, because I think the coolest thing about ice baths is, or the coolest thing about, stretching comfort zone is doing something that you are pretty certain that you can't do and the the feeling of accomplishment you get after you do it and I think doing that well that day I said no I'm not doing it I can't do it that's what I was going to say you, you, you were you were certain you couldn't do it yep I was going to skip it that day and then I then you just said well just get in and just get in and so I got in and I stayed on my knees. And then I think I only did my knees that day. I mean, I went to here, but it was on my knees. So you went up to your collarbone yeah. sort of thing. And then the next day I went and I sat down. But the, let's go back to the day that you didn't want to get in. What was, I said, I'll talk, you know, I didn't press you to, I don't think. I got in first, didn't I? Um, but what was cool was you got in and you were pretty sure you couldn't do it. And I was there and I'm like, I'm just going to breathe you through it. Just breathe in for four, out for eight. And I saw the moment that you realized you could do it. You had this look on your face like, I can't do this, I can't do this. And you got in and you started just focusing on your breathing. And then you got that, that determined look you get when you're competing. And you, because Robin is very competitive, and all of a sudden it looked like you are competing with the water. That's what it looked like to me. Like. I can do this and I can beat you. 
and uh, yeah, the look on your face changed, and because I had, and this is about starting points. Um, you know, I said to you, you don't have to stay in; just get in and control your breath once. Because you know, the ice bath, if you get in there and you you tense up and you start breathing short, you're kind of you're screwed. And I said, just get in and get control of your breathing, and you can get out. And you you got in with the intention of doing that, but once you got control of your breathing. That's when you're, you're, I saw that you like, yeah, I can do this. And you stayed for the whole two minutes where you were planning on just being in there for a little bit. It was, it was so fun to watch. I can't think what that other thing was that you did, you normally wouldn't do. Probably some of the trail rides in Utah. Oh no, it was Utah. It was Utah. We'll get to that. Yes. That's what it was. It was in Utah. Um, so after Hawaii, went to, we went to another um, horse show in Paso Robles, which is only a couple hours from us. And that was a smaller quarter horse show. And we took Petey because at the first show, we realized that the style of horse they were looking for, Petey fit that to a T. Like, that's Petey. And Petey, you know, we stopped competing on Petey because Petey is an internalizer and He's also a perfectionist, and he wants to be a good boy, but you could tell that it was making him stressed. And so he likes to hang out with the babies and the girls here, so we just decided he's done, he's done his job. He's 15, and he's, he's done his job for us for 11 years, so he could not have to do that anymore. But then when we saw that the ranch riding might be a possible fit for him, we got him legged back up and, you know, it's a, it's a lot less pressure. It's just walk, trot, and lope. Yeah, it's not. They can do that really easily. And, you know, there's transitions and stuff. And I'm not saying it's not easy because it's or not hard because there's some technical parts of it um, that the rainers have to learn because we don't trot in the raining and there's lots of trotting in the ranch riding. Yeah, but I'd say ours didn't have to do that. Like before the World of Question Games, all I did with him was trotting, yeah. like do yeah. lots of dressage stuff, like shoulder in at the trot and things like that. So, I mean, he's a great trot. Yeah. So, so it was fine. Um, so Petey got to come along to that. And you won on him? I did actually. His first ranch riding show. I won on him. I actually won a class on him. And Oscar, we went in the walk, trot, lope trail class, and we were second two times. Out of a lot of horses. Out of like 60, no, yeah, 50 or 60, I think. 60 horses, yeah. He was really, really good. Um, and there, there was two things that, so there was a, a, a log roll, a log drag. drag. So it's a log on the ground with a rope attached to it. You walk up and get the rope and dally the yeah, And you have to coil the rope too, which so for our horses who aren't rope horses, they had to, yeah, I had to do a little bit of work with that. Petey, we didn't do enough work at home on that, so I didn't get to, yeah, that didn't work with Petey. But with Oscar, it started out where I had to go completely back to the beginning part of it in the, because right in the morning they like set up everything and you could go out there and, and practice it. And so, we had to really deconstruct it, and then I actually we deconstructed it back at the stalls more. We found a um, we found a we had Brendan's lunge line, and so we found a um, sandbag 
that was the only thing we couldn't find a log. So we found a sandbag, and we so we practiced that from the beginning back at the barn. And um, when we went into the show pen, he was perfect. So that worked out really well. And then the second class, there was a ground tie. And I and so there was a ground tie, and you had to walk to these two buckets and pour something which we thought would be grain from one bucket to the other. And I told Warwick, there is zero chance this horse is going to stand still, especially when, because we feed them a lot of treats. They get grain every day in their buckets. I said, there is zero, zero chance he's going to stand still. And I thought, this is just me not reading the rules before, and I should have, but I thought if they moved like you were out, and that's not the case in the ranch trail. They have like penalties for how many steps they take out of it. But I went into the class thinking he cannot move. And so we, I did some work on that back at the barn. And I, he's familiar with clicker training. So I, I did some clicker training with him for that. And in the class, he stood, he did not move. He was perfect, he was wasn't he? Perfect. He was awesome. We did another bat. He changed leads over a lope over. So that gave us a, a really big penalty. But Without that penalty, we would have been up there again, probably second place. But Oski's such a good boy. He was a great boy. So after the quarter horse show at Paso Robles, I did a clinic at the Best Friends Animal Sanctuary in Kanab, Utah. And what's funny is Robin had told me earlier in the year, oh, yeah, you're going to do a clinic at this Best Friends Animal Sanctuary in Kanab, Utah, which I knew nothing about. And, you know, I, I thought it was like a rundown horse rescue with you know, six starving Mustangs or something or other. I didn't know what it, what it was. And I didn't even know where Kanab, Utah was. You know, I've been, I've driven through Salt Lake City before and it's flat. It's got some hills near it, but it's flat. So, you know, I didn't know much about it. And it was only about three days before we left that I realized we were going to one of the most beautiful places in the world. Yeah. Well, we had, I had planned to, so this is, I had planned this, oh, I don't know. When COVID was still happening, and I said, all right, well, we'll if we're going to start planning clinics, let's plan clinics that are somewhere we want to go, and maybe we can bring the horses and trail ride, and that it feels good. Like, not that all of the clinics don't feel good, but this was like a good mission, right? So, um, so yeah, I planned this a long time ago, and uh, I thought, well, we'll take the horses, and we'll go, we can go to Bryce Canyon, we can go to Zion. They had told me there's a bunch, you know, she said, there's, there's things close by. I'm sure you can, you know, you, I'm sure you'll be able to do some trail rides close by. And you've all heard that before. Like yeah. you go somewhere, someone says, oh yeah, there's some really cool stuff near us. And it's two hours away. Yeah. And so we're thinking, well, that's all right. We'll still go to Bryce and we'll go to Zion and whatever. And the closer we got, yeah, then we ended up once we got the, well, and then, going there just the drive from so we stopped in Las Vegas the first night and really cool horse hotel right off the strip you wouldn't think it was even there and um, then we drove into Utah the next day well we were driving along and after the deserts of, of Las Vegas we come to this like range of mountains and we both look at each other and it's like how are we going to get through those mountains we must go around and we both think we see, you know, we see, we are seeing things, but we think we see the, the, the road go around. And as we keep driving, it's like, 
oh no, we're, we're going right through. And that was the, river, the Virgin River Gorge. And oh my gosh, that was our introduction to like, once you get through the Virgin River Gorge, you come into St. George, Utah. And oh my goodness, that was amazing. And you were driving, so I got to see everything going in. Yeah, St. George, Utah is like the start of the really cool, pretty country. So if you've, if you've ever heard of like Moab or Zion or Bryce Canyon or any of those things, but what was funny, we're following, we're going to a place called Kanab, Utah, and we're following the GPS. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the GPS messed up. Well, the, the GPS on our phone was fine, and then I got in to drive, and I put the GPS on the truck, and I didn't check it. And it, and it took us straight, straight to, the to the front gates of Zion. And we're driving along and we get to the front gates of Zion National Park. And I'm like, hey, this is cool. We're going to go through Zion National Park. We pull up at the front gates. And the guy says, you're over 50 feet long. You can't go in here. You have to do a U-turn. And so we had to do a, a U-turn through the... Uh, they had to stop traffic and move people. It was quite embarrassing. But it was, yeah, anyway, I, I started about... 10 miles out, I started getting this feeling, my, G, my internal GPS is going, this isn't right, we're not supposed to be here. And as we're driving through the little village of Zion, I'm like, we're, this is not right. This is not where we're supposed to be. And sure enough, they turned us around, but it was fine, like, it was beautiful. We got to see the front gates of Zion. Yeah, got to drive, th drive through them in a 50-foot trailer. Um, so, yeah, then we get to the Best Friends Animal Sanctuary in Kanab, Utah, and they're actually in Kanab Canyon. And they call Kanab, Utah, Little Hollywood because lots and lots of the old westerns were made in that area. You go in the tourist information there and they give you a double-sided piece of paper that lists all the movies ever made there. But there were a lot of – so we stayed in our trailer at the Best Friends Animal Sanctuary and it's in Kanab Canyon and there's a lot of movies that were made in Kanab Canyon – our horses actually got to stay in what they call the Disney pasture, which is this sandy pasture at the foot of this, I don't know, two, three and a foot cliff. I don't know how tall it is. Um, and it's got this old wooden barn in it that was built in 1973 by the Disney company for a movie they made starring James Garner and Jodie Foster. And so they call that the, the Disney pasture. But um, I think the original Planet of the Apes was made there. Um, uh, the Outlaw Josie Wales was made in Kanab Canyon. I can't think, but there were some pretty famous movies made right there in, in Kanab Canyon. But we didn't have to trail ride anywhere. We, the trail ride, like Best Friends Animal Sanctuary is 3,000 acres of Kanab Canyon. And then it's adjacent to 30,000 acres of bureau of land management land so you know we trail road all over the place and every corner you come around is just like oh my goodness that's amazing the next corner oh my goodness that's amazing yeah so we got there we had planned to bring tyler so tyler we were gonna we were gonna trail ride and we were gonna climb well tyler, rock was, climb. tyler was gonna rock climb and the week before tyler had a show with his band and it was a super spreader event and he got COVID for the second time. So he was still in his quarantine, you know, period. So he couldn't, he had to postpone his trip. So we ended up only bringing, we were going to bring Oscar, Petey and Ray. And we only ended up 
needing to bring two horses, so we brought Oscar and Ray, which was great. That I mean, that turned out good. Petey, it would have been a little much for Petey because he wasn't in the he wasn't in as good a shape as the other two. So we arrived on a Monday. We had a clin the clinic was going to be on Saturday and Sunday, and uh, then we were going to leave on the following Monday. So, yeah, we the first couple days we just kind of well the first night we got there we just went on a small little ride, and then we went to the Hidden Lake that that night. So they, there's this cave and underneath it is a, is a lake. And that's right, like that is a popular tourist destination that is on like best friends, animal sanctuary grounds. It's pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. All that, all that um, rock around there is sandstone and the water leaches down through it. And, and like the walls behind where um, Oscar and Ray were staying was seeping water out of the sandstone. That was, it was pretty cool. And so we, yeah, we trail rode there and each day I helped the, the trainers from the, the best friends animal sanctuary with some of the, the horses they had there. I think they were mostly Mustangs, weren't they? <laughs> yeah. So then anyway, uh, there's a place called Peekaboo Canyon, not very far from there. So it's, it's not a, very far means it's a few miles up. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those slot canyons that you see, you know, pictures of, and always think, oh my goodness, I'd never get to go there. But uh, so the best friends animal sanctuary loaned us a, a two horse trailer, and we, you know, loaded the horses up and went up to. It's two or three miles up the road. The trailhead is two or three miles up the road from best friends. So we just drove up there and got the horses out. Pulled up into the into the parking lot, and there are I don't know seven or eight trailers with big old. AT UTVs on them. So they had told us that this particular trail, you have to have horses that are good with UTVs because there's going to be a lot of four by fours and a lot of UTVs going to the slot. Yeah, and our horses were fun with that stuff. It's supposed to be about a three and a half hour round trip. And there's two ways to get there. You know, they both start out on the same road and one of them's a shortcut, but it's through, it said deep sand. And we thought, oh, well, we'll do the shortcut. And on the way there, the deep sand is very deep. It was like being in the Sahara Desert. Sand dunes. And it was sand dunes. And yeah, like I had to like get switched back, back and forth on Ray just to get up some of them. Um, and the ride to the canyon itself, when we got there, it was like, that's the coolest ride I've ever been on in my entire life. It actually eclipsed the trial ride we went on with the Wilson sisters in New Zealand. Yeah. About 10 years ago, which up to that point in time was the craziest horse ride we've ever been on. Uh, so by the, even before we get to the Slot Canyon, it's, it's just amazing. The scenery is just, you'll come over a hill and there'll be like these white cliffs in the distance. And it was just, it was amazing. So then we get to the Slot Canyon, we ride through the Slot Canyon, which was, what do you think of that? Yeah, we got to ride through three, three little passes. That was really cool. That was nice. Yeah, it's amazing. So then we decided to come home the long way, which less is hard. the less hard way, which is longer, but it's less hard. And so because we didn't go that way the first time, we didn't know all the landmarks to follow and we missed a turn and ended up getting lost. And so our three and a half hour round trip actually turned into a six and a half hour round trip. And we got to where... <sighs> And we got to where we had no idea where we were. You got a little bit 
Yeah, somebody actually, we got an email after this, and um, because we posted it on Facebook, and she's like, I would really like to hear, Robin, how you handled that, because if it was me, I would have gotten very anxious. And so, you know, there were a couple different points where I finally thought this, we should have, we should be by the turn off by now, like the turn off that we, the shortcut turn off. We'd been riding for an hour and I'm like, this doesn't feel right anymore. And then we got to this one junction and it's like, I just don't think that this is right. Like we should not be going over there. That we're too far. And so we made an adjustment and we ended up in this other, like on a road and <clears throat> We thought we knew where we were. We had service, and I could see on my phone where the parked car was. And so we started riding towards the parked car until I realized that the parked car pin was back at the sanctuary, so it wasn't at the parking lot. And so I said, oh, that's not right. So Warwick said, well, I think we should go that way because we need to go catch the trail right over there. So we should go off-road, off the trail, and just head over the hills. And my gut's screaming, no, don't do it, don't do it. And I'm like, all right, I'll go with it. Because I've been kind of guiding us till this point. I've been making the decisions. I'm like, okay, I'll let him make a decision. And we start going, and we start going. And I start getting more anxious and more anxious. And I said, I can't, I'm getting to this. Now I'm starting to get freaked out. And Warwick said, well, what do you need me to do? And I said, I need, I need us to get back to the road. And so that was great. Thank you for doing that. Um, so we went back the way we came, got back to the road, and I, I was still kind of upset and a little bit nervous and more thinking about the horses because by this time, you know, we were now looking back on it, we were about five miles out of the way, <laughs> I think. And um, we finally made the decision to just backtrack all the way. Like, we're going to find out where we went wrong, but. But the worst case, we need to backtrack all the way back to the Flock Canyon. And so that's what we decided to do. And it was great because we crossed the creek that we had crossed to the beginning. So the horses got a good drink. And Yeah, we were lucky. We, on our getting lost, we crossed the creek. So they had a big drink there. And then an hour and a half later, when we came back past the creek, they had another big drink. Yeah. And we had a few horse cookies with us. So they got some cookies. And there was grass along the way. And they got to graze. And... But... So then we backtracked far enough to where we re-looked at the map and we're like, oh, there's, that's the point. We were supposed to turn off. Hi, Tasman. Uh, the border collie has bought me a ball. Let me just go take care of this. <laughs> so we survived the trial ride and then uh, I think it was the next day we had the clinic, wasn't it? Two days later. Two days later. You know, what I... You know, I see a lot of, at clinics, I see a lot of changes in people during the, during the course of the clinic. And I see a lot, you don't get to a lot of the clinics, but you videoed the whole thing. So what did you, what did you think about some of the, some of the changes some of the people made? Yeah, I mean, well, so, and we were just talking about this, um, everybody emails us before the clinic to tell us where they're up to. And so we can group them into, you know, like groups. 
And so I, I read all those. Sometimes Warwick reads them, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes I read them and put them in the groups. And I can tell from just how they write things and what they write, I can kind of, I kind of have like insider information, I guess, before Warwick does. And so I kind of have a, and then I have my radar already. So, you know, I can kind of tell what he's going to be up, you know, what's going to present itself in the, in the arena. And um, yeah, there were a couple people who I could tell were going to be a little more outwardly anxious and, um, I think he made the right choice of what to do, and, and then the, the changes in them were pretty substantial. And, you know, one of them after, afterwards emailed us, and, you know, well, right after the clinic, she was in tears, you know, because it was such a profound realization. And, you know, she emailed us after saying thank you, what a life-changing, you know, experience it was, and so on. So. Yeah, it was, it was, they were big changes. Yeah, and, and the, you know, the life-changing experience for her, and there was another lady uh, too, I think some of the biggest, and, and this happened at the Horse Expo um, when I went to Equine Affair in Columbus, Ohio, and it's so common is the life-changing experience those people have is they give up control and they come out the other side and they, like that one lady at the clinic, she, the problems that she's been trying to solve with this horse for a long time and she can't solve them and it's a horse problem was resolved when she actually gave up control. And so two things happened was she achieved the thing that she's been, you know, she solved the problem. She fixed the things she wanted to fix. She fixed the things she wanted to fix, but in the doing that she had to give up control and what she realized was giving up control was the answer and, and her trying to control the situation was causing the problem in the first place. And probably that she can give up control and survive. Yeah. Yep. That was probably one of the, the ones where there were the most stories she was telling herself and you that I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, I would be actually trying to help her with stuff, and she was like turning sideways in the saddle, waving her hands like, but, 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 and telling me all the, the stories that were going on. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's how it goes. But it's, yeah, it's so cool to, to come out the other side, but it's, it's, very, it's a very, very common thing. Um, we came back from Utah. Then what happened? Then you guys went to, you went on your grafting trip. Oh, yeah. So Tyler and I, uh, a while ago, our farrier said to me, hey, you, you want to go on a, a, a five-day rafting trip? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like an adventure. Uh, <laughs> Robin didn't go. Uh, so I called Robin, Tyler in Hawaii. I said, hey, you want to go on a five-day rafting trip down the river? And he's like, heck yeah. So we just got back from there uh, earlier this week. And yeah, it was amazing. It's on the Green River in... Utah, which, you know, I've never heard of the Green River in Utah, and you probably never have either. If it was in Australia, it would be a major river there. It's almost as big as the Murray River. And if you imagine rafting through the Grand Canyon, that's what it looked like. Actually, some of the cliffs there were higher than the Grand Canyon. I think some of they said some of the, the cliffs there are over 5,000 feet high, so over, 
you know, about a mile high. Uh, we put in on Monday and came out on Friday. Uh, carried everything we needed with us on the on the rafts. There was four, five rafts, I think, twenty something people. But yeah, just an, a such an amazing experience and such beautiful scenery. Like every corner you come around, oh my goodness! You know, you wake up in the morning and come out of your tent and look up, and it's beautiful. And yeah, it was all sorts of fun. You know, um, I was in the raft with Tyler and two other. 20 year olds so they were doing all the crazy stuff jumping off rocks and doing fun things but yeah amazing amazing rafting trip so that's where we are now um in a day or two tyler and i fly to montana i'm going to do a clinic in corvallis montana uh we get you know we do the clinic saturday sunday monday we tyler and i fly back and this is where (laughs) the rest of the year gets kind of crazy so monday we fly back to San Francisco, Tyler is going to switch planes and fly back to Hawaii. I'm going to meet Robin in San Francisco and we are going to switch suitcases and then Robin and I are going to fly to Australia. So I don't even come home from Montana. Uh, We are going there to visit my parents. Dad's 83, mum's 81 and haven't seen them since the start of COVID. So we're going to go visit them. But we had decided while we were there, let's do something for one day. And uh, so we decided we're going to do a one-day anxiety masterclass. So where we, I, you know, bring in some demo horses and I work with them and we do, you know, get to get really deep about anxiety in horses, both outwardly anxious horses and shutdown horses. And it's, you know, I posted on um, social media about it and it kind of, kind of took off. Yeah, we thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could get like 200 people that would be awesome. And the uni at Waga, the arena is really big, um, and we don't need it all for the horses. So we figured we could fit 200 people in there. And then it's got you know banks that are that are covered as well. So we thought, yeah, that would be cool. And we got 300 people in the first 24 hour, maybe 400 in the first. We got 100 hour. in the first hour <laughs> that we opened it up. So we ended up shutting it after 400 and then we talked to the uni and they said we could take a lot more but if it's if it's going to rain parking's going to be really an issue and so we opened it back up and we closed it at 500 so we've got 500 people coming yeah and it's yeah it's been uh, there's been a lot of um talk about it. and i actually i i think i think this format is going to work really really well and i would like to yeah it's kind of a test it's kind of a test but i'd like to do a lot more of it because, yeah, there's just so much to it, you know, the mammalian nervous system, you know, brain science, um, you know, emotional regulation. You know, I'm going to be talking a lot about the horses, Robins, because it's the, the, the name of the, the masterclass is... Resolving anxiety in horses and their humans. Yeah, resolving anxiety in horses and their humans. Robin's going to do a lot of the human stuff. Um, you know, I always, when I'm teaching, I always relate human stuff to the horse stuff anyway. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fun filled day and I hope to repeat it. I think it's going to turn out good and I hope to repeat it in other places. So after we get back from Australia. You have a couple of weeks off actually. Then we're home for a couple of weeks. Well, one weekend. One weekend. No, two weekends. No, one weekend. One weekend. Then I do a clinic in Washington and then one. Two weekends. 
to do a clinic in Washington, then the next weekend I do a clinic in Colorado. So Washington is Tacoma. Um, the one in Colorado is in Longmont, Colorado. Then the next weekend, I think I'm in. We have a show. We have a Watson, another quarter. Oh, we have a quarter show. show That's to our go next to. show. Then we go to. Go to Southern California. Southern California, California. in Rolling Hills, Rolling Hills Estate. So if you're in LA, LA keep an eye out for dates, dates for that one. one. Well, it's already up on. Everything's up on the website. Oh, everything's up on the website. So if you go to www.warwickcenter.com. Unless it, unless it says it, you can just show up and pay on the day. There's a few of the venues where... To spectate, not to To spectate, yeah. They're all... I think they're all full. Yeah, they're all full. I probably should talk about the, the clinics. So the way I... So I have an online video library, an online subscription, a monthly subscription, and all my clinic participants have to be online subscribers and it's not it's not a money grab like yeah you've got to pay me money before you come to the clinic to do it it's you know I've seen so many clinics where people show up they have they have no idea about the process of the person who's doing the clinic they they get instruction for two days and they go home and then they're back on back in the wilderness again they're back in the dark they have no there's no homework there is no way to sort through issues and so with my clinics You've got to be a subscriber ahead of time. You've got to, all I'm doing at the clinics is helping you where you are stuck in the process because I have, I don't know, 500 hours of real-time training, both me training horses and of clinic footage of different horses and situations at clinics. And I've probably never, ever said anything at a clinic that is not in that video library. Um, and so especially with the relational work, you know, the attunement stuff I'm doing these days, there's a lot of really slow stuff that, you know, you might not get much done in two days. And the other thing about the being a subscriber is, you know, at the clinic, I help people with where they're at. And then I go, okay, so the next thing you're going to do from here is watch this video and try that. And then when you get done with that, do this and do that. And so, I, you know, that's, that's why I have the clinic set up that way. But when Robin said you don't have to book in, she meant as far as being a, a so, and the thing that really struck me after videoing for two days at Utah, and not that I haven't had this epiphany before, but it just drove it home, is that what you're so good at is, well, you're so good at teaching, but you're also just the details, the, the unseen things, you see them and you explain them, and it's so detail-oriented. So. You know, there's not 30 horses in the arena and they're all doing the one exercise and, you know, 29 of them are doing it incorrectly. You know, you get down to the nitty gritty and you're so detail oriented with them. And I just think that's that's something that is really, really cool. Thank you. You know, I. As you know, I'm not that detail oriented <laughs> in a lot of things. Um, it's because you need to be that detail oriented for it to, for it to work. That you know that you would have seen at that clinic over and over and over and over and over. People, I had people work on the basics, the the basics of everything. And if your basics are pretty shoddy, everything's going to be pretty shoddy, and everything's going to seem like it's really difficult, and horses are hard and whatever. But time and time again, and you know, at that clinic. By the, by the end of it, I could see people with the horses and all the spectators like, oh, I get it now. That turns into that, turns into that. And if that first thing is not 
you know, not good, everything else is going to be not good. Um, okay, so after, so I do uh, Washington, Colorado, then we have a horse show, then I do Southern, Southern California, California which is Rolling Hills Estates, yeah. which is down near Huntington Beach. Uh, then I go to Georgia on one weekend, and then I've got a private uh, clinic with a lady in West Virginia during the week. And then, no, that's not then. But that's not, that's then? not then? No. Oh. You go to Georgia, and then you have a couple weeks off, actually. Um, actually, from Georgia, you, well, that's opening up a whole other thing if you want to talk about next February. Mm. So I'm into expanding my comfort zone these days. And a, a while ago on the podcast, I had a, a guest named Stevie Delahunt, who's done both the Mongol Derby and the Gaucho Derby. And the Gaucho Derby is a 500-kilometer horse race in Patagonia, so at the southern end of the Andes in South America. And it's a, an endurance sort of a thing. You've got to carry all your gear. So you've got to have navigational skills. You've got to have wilderness survival skills. You have camping skills. And somehow Stevie has talked me into doing this thing. So uh, next February, I am going to be in the Gaucho Derby in South America. So, so I, after Georgia, we just figured out that he could fly from Georgia to... Oregon. So, to do yeah, so a camp Stevie's thing. in Redmond, Oregon, and one of the things she does is trains people to get ready for these things. So, I'm going to do a clinic in Georgia, and on Sunday night, I'm going to take the red eye and fly from Georgia all the way to Oregon. And at 8 a.m. the next day, we're heading out on a three day, I think, endurance camping wilderness survival. You are. I'm, I'll be home. <laughs> I am. I'll be home riding my horses, getting ready for a show. Because then uh, after that, you have then um, August. Um, then you have the private in West Virginia, and then you go to North Carolina. Mm, a clinic in North Carolina. Where is that clinic? Uh, Bladenboro, North Carolina. It's probably an hour or so from Raleigh. I don't remember. I can't remember. So people from North Carolina, they'll be out your way. Then the next clinic I do is in Fairbanks, Alaska. So I'm all over the place. There's a show in between there too. There's, There's a show in another between. Another show at Paso Robles. Uh, after Fairbanks, Alaska, I am in Maryland. For two, so two separate weekends. So this is at the Gentle Giants Horse Rescue. So big, big horses uh, rescue. So the first weekend is basically with all of their people. Um, we will open it for spectating. That's one of the ones where if weather is inclement, we're going to have to limit spectators because we're planning to be outside. But if it rains, we have to be inside and they can't take, I mean, they can take like, I don't know, 50 spectators but so that's going to be something we are going to be watching the weather the next weekend um is at the same place but it's more of an open clinic that's for the other you know i opened it up to subscribers for that filled in two hours um so expecting a lot of people there we get to do some traveling around in the middle of the week and then he works going to help some of their staff during the middle of the week too then the next weekend, I am doing a clinic in Texas, which is just east of Dallas. Uh, it's called the Austin Roadie Arena, but it's not in Austin. It's, not in Austin. it's in Wills Point. Yep. So Texas people, I'll be in Texas. Uh, and then the next, I'm going to stay in Texas for the week. And the next weekend, I am a guest judge at Dan James's 
International Liberty Horse Association World Championships or whatever it is. I may or may not be doing some sort of a demo there, but I will be judging the something or other there. So that'll be fun to hang out with Dan. He's always a blast to hang out with. And then the next weekend, we have our best horse. Uh, two weeks later. Two weeks yeah, later. Two weeks later, we have our um, Journey, on, Journey on Podcast Summit. Journey on Podcast Summit. So if you haven't heard about the Journey on Podcast Summit, what we've done is we've taken uh, a lot of the guests from the first season of the podcast, 22 of those guests, and we're having a, a three-day summit in San Antonio, Texas. So we're going to have, let's see if we can remember who's coming. So Mark Rash, it's. Let's just rattle them off real quick. Mark Rashid's coming. Jim Masterson's coming. Elsa Sinclair is coming. Carrie Lake, Kathy Price, Jane Pike, uh, Chrissy McDonald, um, Suki Baxter. Carla Buckmuller. Carla. Leslie Desmond. Leslie. Josh Nickel. Josh Nickel. Sarah Schlatte. Steve Peters. Steve Peters. See, I didn't want to do this because we're going to forget people. And so there's 22. Of there's 22 of them. And, and we don't, we, it's sold out. It's sold out in the first three days. We opened that up. How many people are we having for that? 200 and some. It's going to be a, a, a kind of an intimate little thing. The venue's not very big, which would be good. People get to chat with all those guys. Um, but we are going to live stream it. Yep. So details of that will be coming soon, right, Tyler? Yep. <laughs> so we'll have the details on, on the live stream soon so you can watch that from anywhere in the world. Uh, that should be so much fun. I'm so looking forward to that. And then right after that, um, the summit, Tyler and I will fly from there directly to Australia. Yeah, right after. You leave that Monday to go leave to Australia. the next Australia. day. So we'll have to fly from Austin to Dallas to Sydney to Melbourne because we're going... <clears throat> Actually, you fly from um, Austin to LA, LA... Or no, Austin, either Austin to LA, LA to Melbourne, or Austin to the what? Yeah, planes, trains, and automobiles. Anyway, so then I'm presenting at um, Equitana in Melbourne. I'm doing. You're doing two demos, and then you're doing. Um, you're going to be one of four people for a horsemanship masterclass on Sunday. On Sunday, which is the finale for the. I don't know who the other three are. The other three are, yeah. Probably Guy McLean and. And probably downstairs. Maybe downstairs, yeah. It'd be good to catch up with those guys again. <clears throat> Following weekend, I'm doing a clinic in Wagga Wagga, New South Wales, at the Charles Sturt University. So we'll have that's not on the way. We have not done anything for that yet. We may incorporate the new format for that. So, yeah, what we are thinking of doing um, is having, if this masterclass goes off really, really well, we're Considering turning the clinics into three-day clinics, and if you sign up, if you're a rider in the clinic, you will be doing Friday and Sunday, and Saturday will be a masterclass, which you can come and watch too for the price of the clinic. And what I'm probably going to do is choose two, three of the horses from the first day of the clinic and use those in the masterclass on the, on the Saturday. And I'm so excited about the masterclass because you can just get so deep into the because really you know most horse problems are caused by some sort of anxiety whether it's outward anxiety whether it's shut down whether my horse is stiff you know no horse is actually stiff that's tension held in the body and it's all about 
releasing trauma and getting rid of anxiety. And uh, yeah, I'd love, uh, I'd love to be able to incorporate that into the clinic so we can really take a deep dive into that stuff. And that's, so that might be our testing ground. Might be our testing ground. So that's late November, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And so that's, and then that's it for that's all we have scheduled for the year. That's what I have scheduled for the year. Another show the beginning of December may go to Kauai again. Yeah. And that's it. So yeah, so the the whole year went from I've got nothing to do for the rest of the year to I've got no time to do anything no else. No time to do anything else. So when I say I've got nothing to do, that means apart from doing what we normally do, producing content, you know, doing the podcast, doing the videos, writing articles for magazines, uh, those sorts of things. But uh, building fences. Yeah. Building fences. Mowing grasses. Mowing grasses. But there's only so many fences. Manure management. There's only so many fences you can build. And I think I'm almost done building around here. So that's that's the uh, check-in from Robin and I for what we've been doing this year and what we're going to be doing this year. You got any last words? No. I mean, so the question, you know, every time we post a clinic that's open, we get, you know, 50 people saying, come here, come here, come here, come here. We're going to, you know, 2023, unless this monkeypox thing goes crazy, we'll be, you know, I'll be scheduling him to go, you know, pretty much every continent that wants him next year. Um, so, yeah, UK, New Zealand, Australia, hopefully Canada. We'll get the immigration sorted there. Now that you're a U.S. citizen, I think that makes it a little bit easier for Canada. But yeah, we have a lot of people from Canada say, hey, come to Canada. It's just a quick trip. Canada is so hard to get into as far as... Um, when you're going to do business there, it's yeah, really hard. It's really hard. We, I actually um, presented at a horse expo a few years ago in Canada, and I had two types of government paperwork. It was for the main event, and I had two types of government paperwork from the main event that said this guy is coming to this horse expo as a speaker. And so I've got all the, 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 the government paperwork for it. We're in immigration for several hours, get interrogated you know the guy goes through my computer goes through my emails asked me for my phone and i pull it out and i said it was dead he said well we're going to have to charge it because i want to go through your phone too and about this point in time robin leans forward and she goes you know what i feel like my rights are being violated and he leans across the desk and gets nose to nose with her and says and what rights do you think you have like Canada, seriously, Canada is really hard to get into. So all you Canadians who would love me to go up there, I would love to go to Canada, but it's very difficult to get the, we're working with an immigration attorney to, to have permission to, to do it. But I personally know of two clinicians who've been deported at gunpoint from Canada for going up there to do clinics that they didn't have the proper authorization to do. Um, it's the only place I've ever seen anybody taken away in handcuffs in immigration. And that was, I think that was the time that Robin and I were, were getting interrogated. So this guy got handcuffed and taken away. So yeah, I'd love to get to Canada, but I've got to get permission to, to get in there. And if you, you know, if, if you would like a clinic in your area, we have a clinic applica a venue application form. Cause the first thing we've got to do is have a venue that is suitable for what we need and it's changing you know the the venues we're trying to i don't know if you want to call it upgrade the venue but you know we are the more people that are listening to this podcast and watching the videos and you know the spectator seating now is becoming you know we can't just see, sit people in the arena anymore because there's too many of you so you know you'll notice that some of these newer venues 
the requirements are different. We have to have seating outside of the arena. We need a covered arena, you know, for weather. Yeah, so. Yeah, so if you're interested in a clinic at all, um, just go to the website under, under clinics. clinics and there's It's event. under train, so warwickshiller.com, training, clinics, and halfway down that page to the right-hand side, that's on a computer. On mobile, it'll look different. It says venue application form, and it, it explains exactly how we do the clinics and what we need. So, yeah. And we'll have another summit next year, so we've already got, you know, a lot more guests to ask to come to that. We're hoping to do those summits, little satellite summits everywhere, you know, that is not the U.S. So, you know, there's several people in Australia. There's several people in Europe. So, you know, those will be happening too. We just don't know what they look like quite yet. Yeah, I don't know what they look like, but I'd, I'd love to be able to do one in Europe and have Rupert Isaacson and, and Ben Atkinson and Tristan Tucker and, and um, Emily Newman and Will Rogers all in the same place at the same time. It'd be so, the vibe would be off the charts. But so anyway, that's what we're planning for next year. If I make it back from Patagonia, yeah, right. If I survive the Gaucho Derby. So anyway, that's that's what we've been up to this year and what we're planning for the rest of the year and our plans for next year. So thanks for joining us on the Journey on Podcast, and we'll catch you on the next episode. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Journey On Podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick has over 650 full-length training videos on his online video library at videos.warwickschiller.com. Be sure to follow Warwick on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram to see his latest training advice and insights.